Welcome back to another Monday Mailbag. I'm Bob McElligot, here to answer all of your questions about the Columbus Blue Jackets and anything else you might want. You can ask whatever's on your mind. It really doesn't matter to me. That's why I'm here with you every week, just to do it. Well, it's been, uh, this weekend was kind of a up and down, or should I say a down and up weekend for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, it started on Thursday. They played on Long Island, taking on the New York Islanders. Blue Jackets went there and actually had themselves a lead, and they were playing well. They were up 2-1 to one on the New York Islanders, and then the bottom fell out, and the Islanders wound up winning the game 7-3. to three. So it was a series of bad bounces and turnovers, and Spencer Martin struggled in goal for the Blue Jackets in that game, and when it was all said and done, it just was not their night in many ways. Although it was a good night for Adam Fantilli because Fantilli picked up two goals in that game, his first two-goal NHL game of his career. So that was a good thing. And the way he played with Ken Johnson and Emil Bemstrom was a very good thing. The Blue Jackets had to come home the next night and take on the St. Louis Blues. And when you get that uh, back-to-back like that, you don't get home until late. We didn't get home until 2 o'clock in the morning. And now you've got to play the next day. They just canceled everything in the morning, so it was really a show-and-go type thing. Come in the afternoon, be ready, and get at it. And they did, and they played really well, really well. They won that game 5-2 to two over St. Louis. That was the bright spot of the weekend. There's no doubt about that because then yesterday the Blue Jackets had to come back and play an afternoon game against the Florida Panthers. It was a good game. It was a one-goal game. You look at the final score and you say 5-2, to two, that must have been a blowout. No, it wasn't. It was a one-goal game for most of the game. Uh, there were two empty netters that were put in by the Florida Panthers at the end to make it look worse than it actually was. So that's, um, that's a disappointment. And then there were so many things that happened besides playing the game yesterday. The Erica Branson situation, if you were at the game, you know. If you watched the game, listen to the game, you know. If you weren't at the game and you're living under a rock, you don't know. But uh, Nick Cousins hit Erica Branson, took him to the boards with a penalty that was initially assessed as a five-minute major penalty. And then the officials reviewed the hit. The referees came back and decided it was only a minor penalty, not a major penalty. Erica Branson was pretty upset about it. The Blue Jackets were pretty upset about it. And then later in the game, when Branson got out on the ice and got a chance to go get Nick Cousins, he did. And uh, he took him down. He started beating on him while he was down on the ice. It was, um, it's not a good look when you look at the video. But, I mean, I understand every bit of it. And I understand that uh, Branson was really mad about it and probably really hurt about it and wanted to take out his aggression and frustration. So he did. And Nick Cousins didn't fight back one bit. Didn't even try to fight back. Like, just rolled up into a ball and took the punches and got his team seven minutes worth of power play time. It was a two-to-one game at that point. And the Blue Jackets penalty kill, which has been just fantastic all season. They were fantastic for over six minutes. But in that final minute, they gave up a goal. that made it three-to-one. They got it back to 3-2, but just couldn't get it back to a tie. So, as I mentioned, the two empty netters, and it looks worse than it actually was. 5-2 the final. And now we await the fallout from the Goodbranson situation. He's got a hearing scheduled this afternoon with the NHL. And um, so it's a phone hearing. It's not an in-person hearing. He may get suspended. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets suspended. He will get fined. I don't know how much he'll get fined. But it will be interesting to see what the fallout of this is going to be. Because there were two other similar hits in the league this weekend, and everything went a different direction. Like Eric Robinson, who the Blue Jackets just traded to Buffalo, he hit somebody, and I put quotation marks around hit, and he got he's getting suspended for his hit. And it was not even close to what Nick Cousins did to Eric and Branson. Not even close. Now, you have different people that have different opinions on this thing, too. And I'll give you an example. I was watching uh, online TSN. Craig Button on TSN was breaking down the play, and 
he was claiming that Goodbranson is trying to cut the net there. He's trying to go behind the net. He knows Cousins is coming. Cousins is not trying to put him into the boards like that. He's not trying to hit him between the numbers. It's just the way that they connect and collide. And so his argument is that it should not have been a major penalty, that it was that it was a fair hit, okay? So this morning I'm scrolling around and I'm reading things like that, and then I, uh, then I saw a guy that, um, I was just going through Twitter, I saw Tim Peel's account. Tim Peel was a longtime National Hockey League referee. He is uh, retired now. And uh, so I followed him. He followed me back. I just shot him a a DM right before the show started. And I I said to him, I'm getting ready to go on and talk to the fans about about the hit. And I I would like to get a referee's point of view. You know, he officiated the game. He was on the ice for years. He saw those hits, made judgments on those types of hits. And I invited him to come on. And he said, I can't. I've got something else going on. I politely declined for now. We'll get him on sometime, though. I, I think it would be interesting. You know me with referees, right? Those of you that know me know me with referees. I, I normally am like, hands off. I don't want to talk to referees because this is my thing. I, this goes back to when I was in the minor leagues, too. I, I always tell people, you know, it, it's easy to get on a referee or an official of any kind if you don't know them because if you get to know them and you know them as a person and they are a good guy, then you temper your thoughts and comments. <laughs> that's true that is true when i used to do minor league baseball there were certain umpires there was this one crew that um we used to hang out with after games and were they the best umpires no they weren't uh and i can tell you they've never made it to the major leagues but they were good guys so during a game they would make a call a third strike call or a call on the bases and i would totally disagree with it and i probably would just temper my anger because I knew they were good guys. So I I always tease people and I say, I don't want to get to know any officials. It's easier to rip them if you don't know them. And to an extent, that is really true. But I I would like to talk to Tim Peel. Now that he's gone and he's out of the game, I I would just like to get some of the, uh, the, the rationale and the reasoning and the thought process that those guys go through. Because there is a thought process. You may think that the officials don't think, but they do. There's a thought process. Anyhow. To get back to my original thing. So I, I just asked him, I said, I go, uh, I'd like to have your opinion. Should that have been a major penalty or not? And as he said, uh, hey, I can't come on right now, but I'll tell you, I think it should have been a major penalty. So there you have two differing points of view. You got one guy saying, no, I, I think that uh, backing it down to a minor was the right call. You have another guy saying, yeah, I, I think it should have been a major. So anyway, we'll see what happens after uh, Eric Branson's hearing with the National Hockey League this afternoon and uh, see. I, I I just feel he's going to get suspended. I mean, the uh, the way the play happened, For the people that just see it where he wraps up Cousins in a bear hug, puts him down on the ice, and starts wailing away on him, not a good look. I get it. But I also get why he did it. And I also think that Nick Cousins could have, should have, number one, been expecting it. Number two, put up some kind of a fight. But he didn't. And the Blue Jackets wound up on a seven-minute penalty kill. So neither here nor there. But anyway. So that was uh, the weekend. That was the the three games in a nutshell for the Blue Jackets. They win one. They end up losing two. And now they have uh, some time before their next game. Don't have to play again until Thursday in Toronto. So now it comes to your questions. And some of you have already sent those questions to me on X. And others are with me live on X Spaces. And if you're live on X Spaces and you want to come on and ask your question live, I invite you to do that. Just request to be a speaker, and I can bring you on so you can do that. Right after the Islanders game, this, this is what I like. I like and I don't like, okay? After the Islanders game, Thursday, like I don't even get on the bus, and I've got this message on X, formerly Twitter, and it's from Charlie Go, and Like, this is Charlie right after the game. There's no, you know, I I always talk about the 24-hour rule. You know, give it a day, see if your thought 
see if your thoughts change, which in this case they may have because a day later the Blue Jackets won their game. So it might have changed. But Charlie was like, give me that. I'm going right on here right now. And he sends me this message, and he says, what is there for fans to be excited for for the rest of the season? As fans, we feel gutted and disinterested in following along after these losses. And I understand that on that game. I really do. Uh, what is there to be excited about? Well, I'll tell you this. We've seen in the last couple of games that you can be excited about Adam Fantilli and the potential that he has because now we're starting to see it. We're starting to see it go from potential into actuality in the way he's been playing the game. So that's just one thing. But I just want to bring that up because it, it's funny. Like like I said, Charlie was like, this game is over 7-3, to three, you lost Bam, I'm getting this in there now. It's not close to Monday, but I'm not waiting till Monday. I'm not waiting till Friday. I'm doing it now. Boom. So, Charlie, I respect that and have no problem with it whatsoever. All right, let's go live to X Spaces, and let's bring on Paul to join today's show. Hello, Paul. Hey, Bob. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was actually uh, at the game yesterday. Boring first couple periods. That third one got real interesting, though. <laughs> yeah, sure did. I mean, uh, you know, the Florida Panthers, look, they went to the Stanley Cup final last year. They're on the road. They're starting a road trip. They don't give up a lot of scoring opportunities. And if you say it was a boring game, that's exactly what they wanted to do. And they pulled it off for the first couple of periods. And uh, even when it got exciting, they were able to weather the storm. Yeah, I tell you what, it was about halfway through the third period. And I looked up at the was looking at the scoreboard while it was on still. Um, and, <laughs> and yeah, it, it and for those who don't know, it went out late in the third period. It just like it quit. Didn't finish the game. The, the, the main scoreboard. <laughs> no, I couldn't believe the butt jackets only had 15 shots on goal at that point. I thought they would have had more I, based on just the eye test. But, um, I think I wanted to just touch on the Gabranson thing. And I wanted to get your opinion on this. Obviously, I think we can all agree the time and place where that should have been handled was what the referees, you know, keeping it a major penalty. I don't think the extracurriculars happen after that if if, uh, if they don't downgrade it. But my question to you, was that always going to be Gabranson's fight to have or should somebody else have stood up uh, before then? Um, you know, I just kind of think if, if Felino was still on the team, he might have done something before Gabranson had to what's your take on that what do you think I agree with you on that that could have been anybody's fight to have as a matter of fact that could have been an opportunity for somebody to make a a different kind of name for himself and I'm not saying like to the fan base as a fighter but I'm saying to their teammates as to uh hey you know what I got this maybe you're not expecting me to get this but I've got this so I agree with you on that. That could have been anybody's fight. As a matter of fact, it would have been better off had it been somebody else's fight than Eric Branson's because maybe Nick Cousins would have actually fought somebody else or maybe he would have just fell to the ice and turtled like he did in the two times that he faced Goodbranson. But um, I, I think if, if somebody else would have taken it on, I think that entire situation would have never occurred because even though Eric would have still been upset about his own personal involvement with that, it would have been taken care of, but it wasn't taken care of. It was just hanging out there and he was just getting more and more mad. So it was almost inevitable, quite frankly. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was, I mean, I figured maybe there's a chance he kind of went to the bench and just told everybody, no, leave him to me. Cause I'd never seen that guy that angry. He was, oh. You know, here's what I can't yeah, help. It's a big it, man to be that angry. You is. don't want that guy around no, you. No, you don't. And, and I and I can't help but think this. And, and look, I'm just going to say it. Matthew Kachuk plays on the Florida Panthers, and he's a, a gritty guy that mm-hmm. he 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 does he does some things sometimes to drive you crazy, right? Absolutely. And, and I think that game back in early November, Cousins was doing stuff like that, little cheap shot under the radar stuff the entire time. So. <sighs> I, I know, where was Matthew Olivier in that game? That's my question. Why is Matthew Olivier out of that game? What, because Sillinger and Line A are ready to go? I'm sorry. You're coming off a win. Like, you, you don't have to change the lineup coming off a win. In fact, how many times you hear coaches say, well, we won, we're not going to change a thing. 
You know, all line A's ready all to come time. back, so we have to do something. All Cole's ready to come back. W- would it have killed either one of those guys to wait one more game and leave a Matthew Olivier in there? Because there's your guy. Easily, there's your guy to police that. He knows what his job is. And, and again, somebody else could have done it. Sillinger could have done it. He could have went out and said, hey, you know what? I happen to be here today. I'm going to do this. Watch this. As a young guy, I'm going to stand up for for my veteran defenseman. Um, anybody could have done it. Olivier mm-hmm. would have done it, but he wasn't in the lineup, and he wasn't in the game. And I'll be honest with you, before that entire situation, that bothered me I, because I, I think this guy's playing well enough that he shouldn't have to get pumped out of the lineup just because somebody's healthy again. Like, if you've won and he's doing good things, leave him there. Uh, it, I, I would agree with you. And again, when you know you have at least one guy that can be a pest on the other side, because you see what happens. So, and so this would be the argument. Well, I'm not going to play Olivier, but I've got good Branson. Okay. That's fine. Cause, cause he's got that element too. But in yesterday's situation, it worked out badly. And now you may not have good Branson for X amount of games because of it. Yeah, it's probably, I gotta imagine he's going to get at least four to five. I would think. But <clears throat> he got a pound of flesh out of it. That's for I'll sure. I'll tell you this. See, Come on. I mean, see, when he was I'll, I'll tell you. You can say the guy kept his helmet on the whole time. He was fine. The guy was safe. He, he had was, his helmet on. And he, was, <laughs> and he was in the fetal position. He was fine. But it uh, that, that's one of those things where that's going to make highlights all day, all night, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not a hockey fan, you're going to look at that and think what barbarians these guys are. <laughs> and, and that's why, you know, I think that that plays in because, you know, people don't want that anymore. And I'm, again, I'm old school dinosaur. I have no problem with it. I know what was going on there. You know what was going on there. You know the context of the game. People that uh, people that aren't fans and are just seeing it on highlights, they have no idea. But the look is bad, and I think that's why he's going to get a, a pretty big slap about it. Yeah. Hey, one other uh, quick one. Well, I um... – I heard, was listening to your call on Friday, and towards the end of the game, I, you and Dylan Tyre were uh, chit-chatting, and I heard you kind of go, well, you know who I want to score a goal here towards the end of the game, and I'm assuming you were talking about Jack Greaves. Oh, you're pretty good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No yeah, doubt about I'm it. I'm wondering, made me wonder, were you, have you been able to call a goalie call before? No, a never have. Goal? Never have. Oh! No. Okay. It, I, I think it'd be, it would be great, but it's got to be in the right situation, right? I mean... I don't want to see a guy blow a, a one-goal game trying to do it or, or something like that. That would be terrible. But, um, yeah, I'd love to call one. I'd love to call one. And I would love to see Jet have an opportunity to, to uh, launch one the other night. He was going to get his first uh, NHL win. Could you imagine that first NHL win and a goalie goal to go with it? That would have been awesome. That would have been pretty good. But I, I li- wonder what your call is going to be if Elvis gets one. Oh, boy, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I should have one by now because you want to talk about a guy that tries it all the time. That's your guy. Absolutely. He's t- openly talks about it. Yeah, I know, which <laughs> I wish he'd just be quiet and do it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so does he probably. He just wants to do it. But anyway, Paul, so, yeah, I I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. But I like I, – I really enjoyed watching Jet. I, it's the same guy we saw in training camp this year. He's been uh, – it's been fun to watch, and I know he lost yesterday, but he's been very compact and very calm, and I think he's played really well. Oh, absolutely. I think I saw something that said he has a NHL record for first uh, most saves in first three games. Yep. Yep, he does. He's got, uh, what is it, 119, 119 saves, 119 saves in his first three games. So there's two ways to look at that. Great for him, and why are you giving up 40 shots a game? So anyway, yep. it all depends on how you want to look at it. Right, Paul? Absolutely. All That's right. Good deal, Bob. I appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. If you'd like to be on the show and if you're live on X Spaces, all you have to do is request to be a speaker. When you do that, I can add you as a speaker. And then once you unmute, you can be right on the show. I'll give Jordan the opportunity to do that right now, as a matter of fact. Hello, Jordan. Hey, morning, Bob. Happy Monday to all you guys. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I kind of was a little shocked, too, and I think my sister and I were at the game yesterday, and it turned out, you know, I was getting even the crowd all wound up because the game was just getting out of control uh, from yesterday. Because after what 
that hit was, I mean, we were we were not happy when this happened. So I don't blame I don't blame everybody for getting upset like that after that match. And I was like, that should have been a major penalty. Yeah, very well, coulda, coulda, shoulda, and, and I'll tell you, Jordan. There was another point that um, that I was unhappy with. Besides that, it was near the end. What was in the second half of that power play, anyway? And I think it was inside two minutes, or it would have been close. Uh, you got the seven minutes of power play for Florida. Alexander Texier gets tied up with Evan Rodriguez, and uh, everybody else skates away, and they're trying to get untangled. And as they get up, Rodriguez, right in front of the referee, punches Texier. They could have blown the whistle right there. They could have ended that power play, and that could have still been a one-goal game when it was all said and done. So, there, to me, there was two very questionable calls in that one. Oh, I agree. You know, one thing I think that, uh, you know, mostly stirred up, though, because I think if if I was a, like, if I was a rep, I would have handed him uh, – if I would have handed Cousins a major penalty, I would have suspended him at least seven games for that hit. That could have been a whole lot worse if Gabranson wasn't hit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I am grateful, you know, as a fan base, I mean, we're we're all doing what we can do. I mean, you can't fix everything because without your captain, what are you going to do? Well, yeah, Boone Jenner missed game one of what's going to be probably at least a six-week absence yesterday with a broken jaw. So um, you lost your heart and soul and – Somebody's got to step up and, and fill that role. And that's that's where I think if somebody else would have taken that fight, they could have made a step in that direction. Right. If they had Micah Branson, I would have picked Veronkov because he's what, six six or six five? Yeah, six four, six five. He would have he would have taken the daylights out of cousins, to my opinion. Yeah, but that again, would have taken from a suspension too. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think you, I think you needed to have a guy more of Cousins' size because he knew he couldn't handle Goodbranson. That's why he didn't even try. Veronkov, he wouldn't have tried. There's no way. I, it, True. You know, you needed somebody more of a, more of his size and stature that that he would feel that he could compete with. In my opinion. Right. Right. Plus, I, I don't that. want to have Veronkov in the box for five minutes right now. Quite honestly, <laughs> no, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. That would have been that would have been just like <laughs> all the players were going at each other. I'm like, oh boy. Yeah. Even Adam got into the scrum too, and I'm like, oh boy. I was like, he's pulling somebody back. Yeah, I would. Yeah, uh, I, but you I never had the line. Out. Never had the line brawls anymore because guys get thrown out of the game, and it's. Uh, I miss those sometimes, Jordan. I miss them. <laughs> me too even when jared bull was always like that years ago if you recall that that was that was a long time ago oh i recall it i i do recall yeah. it. if jody shelley were to put his jersey back on oh he would have stepped in too <laughs> even <laughs> a flyer jersey i i, I would have told but don't tell him i said that <laughs> i think he'll find out i won't I'm have sure to tell him I mean, <laughs> that that guy's got some talent i mean I mean, Wicker Branson, I mean, I wouldn't say, like, I would say four games at least, but if not, it could be reduced, but it just depends based on severity. But, you know, I mean, the NHL can only do so much. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't always be perfect every day. So even, even goalies have, have their moments too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and just like, uh, and thank you, Jordan. I appreciate you coming on today. And I think a good point about that is, Goalies and officials, I mean, when they when you have an off day, guess what? It's right there for all the world to see. Uh, look, and I think with this situation, I, I think if you're a Florida Panthers fan, you think that uh, Eric Branson should be suspended for at least five games, and it was absolutely ridiculous what he did, and Nick Cousins didn't do anything wrong. And if you're a Blue Jackets fan, you think Cousins should have been suspended for five games, and Eric Branson didn't do anything wrong. I think that's the way this one shakes out uh let's go to dave live on x spaces today on this monday mailbag dave how are you how's it going bob good so two quick things first um i think one thing getting overshadowed is the fact that they killed off over six and a half minutes of penalty before giving up that goal um i just a lot of people aren't talking about that and i just want to throw that out there the other thing is a question for you with tarasov being brought back up to columbus and greaves getting sent down when Elvis comes back from the IR, do you think they run with three goalies, or can we expect to see um, Martin get moved, or what do you think we can expect to see there? 
I think they'll run with three goalies uh, as they look to see what they might be able to get for one of them. I'll say for one of them, and the one of them should be Spencer Martin. But they're not going to be willing to give him away. There are some teams now that are running into some goalie problems in the league. Uh, I would expect that uh, there will be some some searching to see what might be out there and what people might need, and if you have something that they're interested in, and uh, and go that way. They, they they don't want to put Spencer on waivers and give him away for nothing. They're going to try yeah, to get something out of him. So they'll have three goalies, which is not an ideal situation because every practice you have two nets and three goalies, and um, so we'll we'll see how that all how it all pans out. For sure. But it's all about, you know, just like with Robinson. They Two weeks ago, Buffalo could have taken him off waivers and gave up nothing. They still may give up nothing because it's a conditional draft pick, but at least there's the possibility that you get something out of Eric Robinson besides the salary cap relief from his salary um, that you might get something. So that's what they're looking for. It's, it's not like they're going to trade Spencer Martin for a first-round pick or anything like that but they would like to get something rather than just putting a guy on waivers and having somebody take him and you're just empty handed. Yeah. And I mean, Martin's done a good job so far this year of upping his value too. So yeah. hopefully something decent for him. Yeah. He's coming off, you know, his, his worst start here was the, the last start, the Islander start. But yes, other than that, he's, he's performed well. I want to say before coming here, I think he had 11 straight losses. So, I mean, he's recovered well from it. So Yeah, he is. He's a, and he's a good guy, and he's a good goalie, and that's why they think that they could, they may be able to get something for him. They'd like to leverage that and not just give it away. So I think, I, I think you'll see the old dreaded three-headed monster for a bit. But you know what? That also, like when you get into a busy schedule, that also will give you a chance to give somebody a day off because you'll still have two goalies in practice too. That's true. So that's fair. All right, Dave, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for being part of the show today. If you'd like to be part of the show, and if you are on X Spaces live with me, uh, you are more than welcome to request to be a speaker. Come on and be a part of the show. Kelly would like to be a part of the show, so let's uh, bring Kelly on. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Can you hear me? Yes. I've never done this before, so. Oh, never? Um. First time Spaces? (laughs) Yes. Um, something I think is getting glossed over in all of the good brands and stuff is when the ref kind of pushed Cole Sillinger to the ice randomly. Do you know, um, has Cole said anything about that or the refs or what that was all about? No, that was, um, that was a linesman and, uh, he just, he got, he got caught. He was deer in the headlights and yes, I know he extended his arms and knocked Cole down. Um, you know, he, he looked more like a defenseman than a linesman on that one. But I think he just got caught in the spot and he didn't, there was nowhere to go and there was nothing to do. And he's also trying not to get steamrolled by Cole Sillinger. So that, that was just, that was a freakish instant, uh, freakish incident of a guy being in the wrong place at the wrong time and having nowhere to go. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. That was, that was more Kelly. That was more self-defense on his part <laughs> than it was trying to hurt Cole Sillinger. I can tell you that. Although Cole was mad about it. And so would I be because I'm trying to make a play and you just knocked me on my can. Come on, man. Get out of my way. I get it. I understand it. Thank you. Hey, you did a good job for your first time on spaces, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. All right. If you would like to join the show, as I said, just request to be a speaker and uh, you can do that. And I will bring you on, and we can chat. Troy is next up. Hello, Troy. Hey, Bob. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I uh, wanted to make some comments about how the end of the game transpired the other day and then relate it to a similar experience I had in another sport. So one thing I will say is I'm happy to see these guys stand up for themselves instead of basically just like, fold like a lawn chair and concede a bunch of goals in the third period. At least they showed some spark. And uh, there were some comments you made before about trying to find a guy closer to cousin size. Obviously, like, it's past that. But it got me thinking, who are some players in this team that are, like, have that fire in them to maybe just, like, go off the rails a little bit here and there? And uh, obviously we saw Cole Sillinger fight Kadri. And uh, obviously, we're talking about a kid here, so he's probably not fighting anytime soon. But uh, a player that I feel like, I'm assuming he has a lot of fire based off of 
his mannerisms and his body language is David Yerchek. I mean, he never backed down from talking smack to anyone in front of the net. Uh, when he scored the game winner in the semifinals at the World Juniors, he literally like did a belly flop into the bench. He was so excited. I feel like he could be one of those guys to build into a bigger, tougher role with a way more well-rounded skill set uh, once he gets there. And obviously, like I understand a lot of people might not be in agreement with me because, like you said, I like the old-school hard hockey I don't mind seeing people get thrown around a little bit. Some people look at it like it's barbaric, but at the end of the day, like stats are stats, but there's no stat that calculates how scared you are when a big guy that could knock you on your ass is skating next to you, you know? So I think maybe this event will, without the captain may uh, be a refresher, for these players to play with that intensity all the time. So I don't think it was entirely a bad thing. And uh, I wanted to relate the good Branson thing to an experience I had in another sport. It was soccer. And uh, I was playing club soccer in college at James Madison. And basically like there was a bench clearing fight in a game I was in because the referees didn't give a yellow card when people were like, elbowing each other and obviously you know like you shouldn't really elbow anyone in soccer it's way less physical contact but the point i'm trying to make is is if the refs don't put their foot down and say hey you guys are getting out of control let's take control back of the game players will tiptoe that line of like getting penalized and not you know so like i hate to be that guy to complain about the refs but I really do believe a lot of this is on the refs for not grabbing a hold of this a lot earlier, in my opinion. Well, I agree with you. I yes, they uh, they could have handled it differently. There, there were a couple of things they could have done that would have uh, would have stopped a lot of that. They should have been looking for it. They they should have known. You should have some kind of feel sometimes in certain games, right? And you you should know. And yeah. You should you should put a stop to it. But I thought I thought in soccer, if you get hit, you just like throw yourself on the ground and, you know, maybe you wiggle around a little bit and pretend that you, you got shot or, uh, you know, I didn't know you actually get up and fight. Yeah. Well, also it was a little different because it was, it was indoor. So people aren't as willing to flop around on hardwood <laughs> floors compared to the grass. That's, that's what I will give the caveat. So you left that part out. Yes, yes. So I guess it would be futsal rather than soccer. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes that makes more sense. Although you know, I used to uh, I used to enjoy indoor soccer when they had the old uh, major indoor soccer league because it was like it was similar to hockey, right? You could put a guy into the boards, and oh yeah, and guys would get much more aggravated in that game than in the outdoor game, like you just said. So it was uh, I used to like watching those games. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed playing it, too, because opposed to regular soccer, there's a lot less space, and when you're working in and tight, you're brushing along a lot of people, and uh, like I said, the refs let a little bit more things fly, but that's why you get a little bit more hockey reactions in futsal as opposed to soccer. Yeah, well, it's funny what happens when you, you basically lock people in a tank and you say, go as fast as you can, and if you, if you hit each other, you hit each other, and then they get mad, and then they take it out on each other. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And I have another question because Kevin Weeks brought this up on the broadcast uh, last game. <clears throat> he made a point about how having, at least in our situation, that our power play is quarterback by two left-handed shot defensemen. And on the first unit where Johnny Gaudreau's on the left wing, Kevin Weeks was saying it takes more time for a left-handed shot defenseman at the point to essentially pivot their body and, like, square up to pass it to Johnny Gaudreau, and maybe it would be a little bit more efficient and the puck would move faster if there was a right-handed defenseman quarterbacking the unit. Do you agree with this sentiment? And if you do, would you give David Yerichek a shot on maybe the second unit or something to experiment? Um, well, yeah, I, I do agree. I'll, look at, I'll give you Patrick Line as uh, an example. Patrick Line, when Seth Jones was feeding him the puck, he could always one time it. Zach Wierenski feeds it to him, he can't. 
And I, I don't get it. But it's a different rotation and all that stuff. And, and maybe as you're talking about the extra second or half second it takes to get it over there. Um, cause I was just going to say, as you were going through that, I was like, okay, I'm ready for this. Like who, without Boquist, what right-handed shot are you going to give this to Andrew peak? No, Nick Blankenberg, maybe, but you know, probably not right now. <clears throat> Although he was probably running the top unit in Cleveland, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, yeah I think your check's going to get there eventually. And, and you could make the argument that if he's going to get there eventually, then why don't you just do it now. And and I think this all comes back to be honest with you Troy. I think this all comes back to another the philosophies in the question. The question being are you developing or are you looking to win now? Because if you're looking to win now, that's why Provorov is going to be out there and Wierenski is going to be out there, you know. Um yeah. if if you're looking to develop for the future, then why don't you give some of these kids a bigger role? And um and, and and they're trying to win now, especially with the record that they have. They're trying to win now. But I think David's going to get that opportunity at some point in time. Will he get to do it this year? I don't know, maybe. But um, he's just kind of a, to this point, it's been kind of a, a wait-your-turn thing. Uh, like even, well, Severson would be on the power play if he were healthy too. But uh, I think he'll get his chance. And you, and you make a good point about it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on and hosting this wonderful show. Have a good one. Thank you, Troy. I appreciate it. Um, back on X, because we're talking about this uh, good Branson situation, and Finn McCool said, do you think there's currently a problem in the NHL with players having to police rather than the officials? And aside from all the good Branson stuff, there have been three other instances this past week of similar scenarios. Curious to see if the league comes out and says anything. Well, you know they've looked at all the situations and how they're similar and how they're different and all that stuff. Um, I don't know if they'll say anything, but they'll be they'll be looking, they'll be talking to their officials about what to look for and you know what to what to do to correct these situations. You know, as Troy was talking there, and I was sitting there and I was thinking about you know I'm it is so easy for me to sit in a chair and say somebody needs to step up and uh, somebody closer in size to Nick Cousins and get in there and. But if you step away from the situation and think about it, who really wants to get punched in the face? You're making a choice in life. Do you want to get punched in the face? Yes or no? Probably not. And I think when you look at the hockey players today, they've come up at a different time. It used to be guys like Jody Shelley and Jared Bull got punched in the face their entire career coming up before they ever got into pro hockey. They were getting punched in the face all the time. They were used to it. They knew it was part of what they had to do. That doesn't happen anymore. That That is just not the way the game is played in junior anymore. Well, and look, the Quebec Major Junior League banned fighting. Okay? So who wants to get punched in the face? Nobody. Branson, he's going to do it. He's old school. I talked to Matthew Olivier a couple of weeks ago, and he told me that, uh, you know, because of his his birth year and the four-year span that he was in, that when he started, he was a middleweight in junior. And by the time he finished, he was the toughest guy in the league. And it wasn't, well, I'm sure he got tougher, but it wasn't necessarily because he got tougher as it went along. It's because nobody else wanted to fight anymore. So he became the toughest guy because nobody wanted to do the job. And I think in today's day and age, people aren't picking the option of getting punched in the face. Good Branson will. He's old school. But some of these guys, you know, I, I know that uh, Adam Fantilli's coach in Michigan said, well, I, I think if you were able to fight in college hockey, he would have. And at some point, he probably will fight in the NHL, probably because he's so doggone competitive and he'll want to win so much, and there will be a time that comes. But that's not a guy that I don't want to see him get punched in the face. More importantly, I don't want to see him punch somebody's helmet and do something to his hand. So, but think about this. Do you want to get punched in the face? Because I, as I said, I can sit in the chair and say, why didn't you get punched in the face? And if they say, why don't you get punched in the face? I'd say, well... Good point. I don't want to get punched in the face. Union Blue Soldiers up next on this Monday mailbag.
Uh, hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Uh, before I get to my question, I just want to send a big thank you to Marcus Stevenson and the rest of the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets organization for their awesome continued support for our marches that we do every year for the Blue Jackets home opener. We get at least 100 to 200 Blue Jackets fans to show up at our bar and we march on to Nationwide Arena to cheer on the Blue Jackets doing CBJ, Let's Go Jackets, and all stingers there and a whole bunch of other fun stuff and the blue jackets have promoted our marches aggressively all over social media and tv so just wanted to say a big thank you to marcus stevenson and the rest of the columbus blue jackets organization for their continued support for union blues soldiers marches anyways our question is uh what's your thoughts on dmitry Voronkov so far we love him. He's a big, beautiful Russian man. He's so fun to watch, and we're glad he's uh, playing for the Blue Jackets. BBRM, right? Big, beautiful Russian man. I like that. Uh, love this guy. How do you not love this guy and what he brings to the table and and what he can do and um, size, hands. They've got him on the line now with Marchenko and Chinikov, and it just clicks. They understand each other. They understand how to play the game. Uh, when I talk to Pascal Vincent, he loves the fact that they are so responsible defensively and with their ice time. Uh, he has told me about how he doesn't have to worry about them extending their shifts. They go out there, they do their job, they come off the ice, and that might sound like uh, the most mundane thing in the world, but when you get guys overextending shifts, and especially early in the game, it comes back to bite you later in the game. These guys don't do that. They go out there, if there's a chance to make another play, if it's time to end the shift, they'll pass on that. They'll leave that for somebody else to go do. They just do their jobs, and they are all fun. Um, you know, Chinikov now knows some English. He's starting to do interviews. You're starting to see his personality a little bit. Marchenko's been Mr. Personality since he's shown up. And Voronkov, when he starts to speak, I'm sure he'll have his own uh, entertaining aura about him. But it's so fun to watch the guy watch uh, play the game. I love watching him, and uh, I think he's going to be a really big part, pardon the pun, a big part of what goes on here in making this team better. Absolutely. I agree with you. He has just been so fun to watch. That hit he had on Jacob Truba was just, oh, my God, that was so cool. And another thing I just like is that sometimes you see dudes who are big, but they don't play like they're big because they haven't fully got the concept yet that, hey, you're a big dude and you can use that to your advantage. But, you know, we saw that with Dubois when he was with the Blue Jackets. He kind of played like a smaller dude. But then once he figured out how he could use his size to his advantage, he became so much of a better player. He, Voronkov doesn't do that. He knows that he's a dude that's 6'5", 240, and he just parks his ass in front of the net gets greasy goals, and he's just so fun to watch. Well, And when you're talking about that hit that he put on uh, Jacob Truba, it was a great hit, and it took Truba out of that game. I, let me take that back. It told Jacob Truba that if you're going to play in this game, just play hockey. Don't do anything stupid. Because did you feel that hit? That hit can come again if you want to play stupid. So Truba was nothing but a hockey player. No cheap shots, no nothing. Let's just play the rest of the game. The message was sent. Now, Dimitri doesn't go looking for that, and I'm cool with that. And I think this goes back to what I said about uh, the discipline on the length of shift. He's out there to do his job. He's not going to go out there and start looking around and go find somebody that he's got to run around and hit. I'm here. I have a job to do. My job is to move this puck and try to score goals, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm fine with that because if one of those guys gets in between him and his job, he's going to level him, and he's going to take care of it. And if he has to fight, he's going to have to fight. But he's not going to go looking for it, and I'm telling you, not a lot of guys in this league are going to come looking for him because he's big, and you don't have to do much research. YouTube will show you how tough he is from his time in the KHL. So just let him go do his job. That's what he's going to do. If you get in his way, it's going to be really fun to watch because he'll take care of it. I absolutely agree with you. Okay, thank you very much. All right, thanks for being on today. Appreciate it. Uh, talking about the Blue Jackets here on this Monday mailbag. 
What do I have from Boom Goes the Cannon? Says everyone's going to talk about Good Branson, but let's talk about Jet Greaves and that amazing glove of his. He's done an amazing job here on the Blue Jackets, and he's been playing well in Cleveland. Your thoughts on the kid and his future here? Well, again, you know, he's going back to Cleveland. He he is solidifying himself as a guy that can play in the National Hockey League. I think he's going to be, um, at worst, a backup in the NHL, and he's got potential to do better than that. But that glove hand, oh, that glove hand is something. He is, he is really good at catching pucks, and... You know, we've had some guys here that are really not good at catching pucks. Listen, European goaltenders, to me, from the ones I've seen here, hit and miss when it comes to the glove hand. And they don't play baseball over there. You can tell guys that have played baseball because they they just know how to catch. Jet Greaves knows how to catch. And it's a world of difference. And he's, he's really quick with that glove. So, um, you know, for Jet, this worked out great for him. He gets a chance to come up play a couple of games, wins one of those games, shows the organization, hey, it's not just the in the American Hockey League I can do this. I can do it for you too. And I think that is um, – I think it's great, and it is showing to this organization and every organization. I heard Kevin Weeks say this on NHL Network. He said, listen, there's also 31 other teams out there watching this and saying it looks like this guy can play in the NHL. So that's good for him. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get noticed by your organization – if it's uh, if it comes to the end of the road and it's not going to work there, you want it to work with somebody. So Jet has done a terrific job in this uh, call up this time. Lester, welcome to today's Monday Mailbag. Hi Bob, thanks for your time. Um, it seems to me like referees are extremely reticent to call major penalties because of the ramifications on the outcome of the game that they can have, and I think referees would prefer to be not that the call that they make would not be the reason why the game was won or lost. I think a lot of it goes back to um, about five years ago in the playoffs when San Jose was playing Vegas in game seven and Vegas is cruising along halfway through the third period with a three, nothing lead and Cody Eakin gets called for a high stick. And uh, the, the player he had the high stick on was bleeding and they made it, I think a five minute major, something of that effect happened. But what replay showed was that he actually fell against a teammate and got cut. The high stick didn't have anything to do with the blood that was drawn. So there was a lot of criticism over that. Well, meanwhile, back at the ranch, during the penalty time that uh, that San Jose had, the power play, they score four goals and take the lead four to three. And eventually they would win that game seven in overtime. And there was a lot of criticism of the officials over it. And it just seems to me, especially as – I've watched hockey very heavily the last several years. You just don't see the five-minute majors being called unless, like, there's a bone sticking out or something. The referees just won't touch it. Well, and, uh, yeah, maybe you're right on that. Maybe you're right. So I understand your point, Lester. Could be. and, 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 again, that's human nature too, I guess, right? Yeah, but it, like if you go back to the 1970s, it was really weird about hockey. The referees had their names on the backs of their shirts, but the players didn't. And so you always knew who the referees were. You knew uh, linesman John D'Amico, or you knew Kerry Fraser, or you knew Andy Van Helman. You knew all those guys. You saw their names on the backs of their shirts. You knew who they were. Other than, say, Wes McCauley, most of today's referees are anonymous to me. And what was really funny was back in the mid-'70s, the league came out with a rule that they had to put the players' names on the backs of their shirts too. And I don't know at what point in time they took the referees' names off the backs of their shirts, but they did. But anyway, they they come out with this rule, the entire league, everybody had to put their players' names on the backs of their shirts. Well, Harold Ballard up in Toronto said, I don't want to do that. He said, I don't want the fans to know who the players are. I want them to come to the game and buy a program so I make more money. So he refused to do it. So the league came along and said, okay, if you're not going to put the players' names on the backs of their jerseys, we're going to fine you, and the fine is going to be more than the money you would have made off a selling program, so you might as well do it. So Ballard went ahead and put the players' names on the backs of the jerseys. The only hitch was he put white lettering on the white jerseys and blue lettering on the blue jerseys. (laughs) Well, I guess they should have specified, shouldn't they? They should have. So they had to have another rule that the lettering of the jerseys had to be opposing colors. That, that's a true story, but that's the way the NHL was back then. Yeah, that's old-time oh. hockey right there. 
Oh, yeah. I want to touch on one other topic real quick, and I'll let you go. What do you think Yegor Chinnikov's ceiling is? Oh, what, as far as how many goals could he score in a year or what? Um, like, say, 20 goals, 50 points. Do you think he could do that? I mean, the Russian Yeah, I think line, he can do that. I think, yeah. I, I think he can easily do that, quite honestly. 20 to 25 yeah. in that area. Yeah, I haven't been able to figure it out yet, and it's the more I see, the more I realize how good he is. And you go back to his draft day three and a half years ago, everybody went, what, who? Right. But but, but for all the people that sit around saying, well, we need to fire Yarmo or whatever, if you really did an in-depth study of a lot of the things he's done, things on draft day, we have really good players. For whatever the reason, they haven't gelled yet. But they've played 30 games in 60 days. You look at Ottawa. Well, they've only played 22 games. I think as they get more rest time, they get more film study time, practice time. I think this team is going to get a lot better over the course of the year. But well, I, I think I think so too. And it, again, it it sounds like an excuse when you say it, 30 games in 60 days, but it's it's not. And again, as we've talked about for the last month, if you win even at this point four or five more games than than you did. And it's a, it's a different conversation. Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, holy mackerel, well, they're only two points behind Pittsburgh. If they've been able to close out a few of those games, they'd have the Penguins so far in the rearview mirror. It wouldn't be funny. Right. And and that team is, they, they don't know which way's up right now. But to get back to what I was saying, just the scouting and how far ahead of the other teams they are, I was listening to a lot of the Canadian podcast when they uh, drafted Chinnikov. And the general assessment was, only the Blue Jackets in Ottawa had any idea who he was. And the Blue Jackets were on the fact Ottawa was going to draft him, but the Blue Jackets had a pick in the first round and not another until the fourth. And because of picks the Blue Jackets had traded to Ottawa in the Dezingo and Duchesne trades, Ottawa was going to draft five more times before the Blue Jackets had a chance. So they felt to grab him in the first round was something they absolutely had to do. And if you study that draft so far three and a half years later, the only player taken after Chinnikov even distinguished himself in the NHL as Paterka in Buffalo. Yep. So to have jumped on that and taken him when they did, to me, it just smacks of pure genius. I mean, that was smart. And I think if, if people would realize that a little more about how far ahead of the game they are, I told you a month ago, they traded one pick for two and used the extra pick to get Voronkov. They, they've done that a lot. If you study their, their, uh, their draft history when they've made trades. I've noticed a lot of times when Yarmo makes a trade where he trades back and gets an extra pick. Well, you use that extra pick on an international player that a lot of people think you might have trouble getting him to come over here. But he's playing with house money once he's got that extra pick and he can afford to draft that guy and take a, a gamble on getting him over here. And if he does, he looks pretty smart. And more often than not, he hasn't been able to do that. Well, I will look, I understand everything you're saying and I, I agree with everything you're saying, but then when it comes to the difference between winning and losing, I, I think where there is uh, there, he's, they're getting good players. They're drafting good players. They've got a lot of young talent now, but I think I said this last week, sometimes you wonder if you have a roster or if you have a team, right? Because you got to get the pieces to fit together, as you were just saying. Now they've found that with that Russian line. They've they've found they found somebody that Chinikov can. You know, there were there were rumors which I feel were I don't even think they were really substantiated about him not feeling like he was having a big enough role, and you know he might be unhappy and all that stuff. Well, what a difference that would make. Even if any of any of that is true whatsoever, you think he doesn't feel important now? He's got three goals in two games. He's playing with Voronkov and uh, Chinikov, or playing with Voronkov and Marchenko, and that line is they've got something there. Okay, so they've they've molded that. That's just gone from roster players to a to a team right there, and it's about filling filling all that in, whether it's through trades or free agency, and um, you know finding how it's going to mesh because some of it we're starting to see. Fantilli, Johnson, that looks pretty good. Even Bemstrom. Bemstrom's looked like a completely different player. I thought maybe they sent somebody different from Cleveland and just put him in the uniform, but no, it's really him. But he looks completely different right now. Um, so they've they've got to find more of that. You gotta find you, you gotta find those pieces that are going to bring everything else together. Well, I'll say one last thing. I, I still feel the one thing that they've needed all along that they've never gone out and got 
was a legit top line center. Yep. I've told you before, I love Thomas Hurdle in San Jose. I know they're in a rebuild. I don't know if they've tried, but I wish there was some way they could bring him in. He could mentor Voronkov and Fantilli. And all of a sudden, you've got a real strong center line there. You would have Hurdle, you have uh, Voronkov, Fantilli. Corrali, I think, makes an excellent fourth line center and allows you to move Boone Jenner over to the wing, where I think he's much more effective. And all of a sudden, your lineup starts to take an entirely different look because the only time I ever really saw us having that kind of elite top line center was when we brought in Matt Duchesne. And he didn't do much during the regular season, but in the playoffs, he had 10 points in 10 games. He took 61% of his draws. He played really well. He had three or four really big goals. And when you just have somebody like that, he just totally reshaped our, our center position. And I think that's one reason why they were able to beat Tampa Bay. It looked a lot better with him as opposed to just going with Riley Nash and uh, Alexander Wenberg. It just it it gave us a much better look. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it really does. And you know, and with Boone, even if you even if you get him back to the wing, and I agree with you, I, he was always great on the wing, and he's been very good at center. But because you're playing wing, doesn't mean that you don't take draws, and that's what he's really, really good at. So you know, you'd still have that defensive zone guy that could come out there and take the draw in place of a Fantilli or whoever he's on the line with. So. Yeah, that would uh, that would make sense. It is still a hole, and so we'll see how they address it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you, you look at it even harder now that, that you're without your top-line center in Boone Jenner for at least six weeks. I hope it's only six weeks, but I'm telling you, a broken jaw that gets wired shut, you know, you're going to lose weight. You're going to have to get back into playing shape after the jaw heals. It's I, I hope it's the minimum. Yeah, well, you know, maybe if they were able to move him over to the wing, he would be injured a lot less often because he just plays so hard. He's missed 65 games now in the last five years, if you include yesterday. And I'm not necessarily saying he's injury prone, but the type of game he plays and where he plays, it's just conducive to, I think he's going to get hurt from time to time. Right. Yeah. Like getting a, what he got a, a, took a shot off the thumb and that kept him out. Uh, This one gets deflected, hits him in the face because he happens to be in front of the net. Yeah, you're right. He's not an injury prone guy. He's not getting hurt because he's not in shape or he's not, uh, trying hard and maintaining it's he's getting hit with pucks because he stands right in front of the net all the time. So you're yeah. right. That, that's, that's not injury prone. That's just a, a hard nosed player who unfortunately gets stuck in the wrong place sometimes. So thank you, Lester. Always a pleasure. Yep. Great talking to you. All right. Well, I'm going to uh, start to wrap it up here, but I want to go back to X here. The Finn says, Uh, What do you see as the biggest strength of our team at the moment? And I'm going to tell you at the moment right now, I see it as the young guys. I see these young guys starting to um, slowly come into their own a little bit. And that that is a strength. I was just talking about Kent Johnson and Adam Fantilli and Emil Bemstrom and Dmitry Voronkov and Yegor Chinikov and Kirill Marchenko, all young guys. Um, You know, some younger than others, I get it. But relatively little NHL experience starting to come around. So to me, that is biggest strength right now. And finally, Morgan Bennett says, how do you think Blankenberg has looked up here? Legitimately better than peak. Uh, he's yes, because he's plays a different game than Andrew peak. Um, Blankenberg is more of a, he's, he's more offensive minded than peak is. He's jumped right on the top pair with Zach Wierenski and he's done a great job. So how could you say anything wrong? He's been very, very good. It's good to see him here. And there's another heart and soul guy, Nick Blankenberg. Those are the guys you love to have. You're going to play with heart. You're going to play with soul. You're going to throw the body, even though sometimes you shouldn't. Yeah, you never you never miss out on an opportunity to put that guy on your team. And he had to wait. He was down in Cleveland. He had to wait for his chance, but he's making the most of the chance that he's getting now. All right, the Blue Jackets don't play again until Thursday night, 7 o'clock in Toronto. And prior to that, Jody Shelley and I will get together for another episode of the Inside Edge coming up on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock on the flagship station of the Blue Jackets Radio Network, 97.1 The Fan in Columbus. Not sure who we're going to get as a guest on that one. I had some ideas, but we'll wait to see how the roster shakes out between now and Wednesday. Then I said, uh, or as I said, the Thursday game, 7 o'clock. I will have that for you starting with pregame coverage at 6.30 on the Blue Jackets radio network. Thanks to all of you for being here once again. Great questions. And uh, we'll hold our breaths and see what happens with Eric Branson and his, um, his hearing with the National Hockey League to see 
how much he's going to get fined, if he's going to be suspended, and see if the Blue Jackets are going to have to do without his services for another couple of games. He just came back yesterday after missing, what, two or three games because of illness, and now they may miss him again. So we'll wait for that verdict to come in from the National Hockey League. Until then, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.